This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Invisible Hate. I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. So, Sadia, we're like 10 episodes into our run now here at Invisible Hate. How do you think it's going? Oh my gosh, Asad, I am so overwhelmed with the love that people are giving us. Things are going absolutely fantastic. We have thousands of listeners across the world. We are finding some really important stories that we want to share with all of our listeners. And we've been very, very happy with the feedback. Also, we are making adjustments to the show based on your feedback. And one of the big things that we've heard from all of you is that you want us to talk a little bit about what a hate crime actually is and how they are prosecuted, which makes a lot of sense. We should have done it previously, but we are going to do it today. That's right, Sadia. So before we get to our case today, we just want to spend a few minutes on hate crimes and what they are and why it's important to have crimes that are labeled hate crimes. Absolutely, Asad. And you know what? This definition put everything into context for me as well. So the definition of a hate crime is a criminal offense committed against an individual, group or property that is motivated by prejudice or hostility towards the victim's perceived race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability or other characteristic. The intention of a hate crime, and here I want our listeners to pay attention. The intention of a hate crime is to intimidate or harm not only the immediate victim, but also other members of the targeted community. Yeah, that was also kind of eye-opening to me as well, Sadia. Hate crimes can take many forms, including physical assault, verbal harassment, vandalism, and other types of targeted violence. From what I've seen in terms of statistics, the majority of hate crimes are actually done towards objects, so like vandalism, like a swastika on a temple or a synagogue. Now, hate crimes are often considered more severe than similar offenses that are not motivated by bias or prejudice, and they can carry steeper penalties under the law. And because, as Sadia mentioned, hate crimes can have a significant impact on the victim and the community as a whole, they are taken very seriously by law enforcement and prosecutors. That's right, Asad. But here's the thing. Hate crime laws in the United States vary from state to state, but there are some commonalities across most states that we want to discuss here. At the federal level, hate crimes are prosecuted under the Hate Crimes Prevention Act, which was signed into law in 2009. So not that long ago. Not long ago, yeah. The law provides for enhanced penalties for crimes committed based on the victim's race, color, religion, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. 
However, each state has its own set of hate crime laws, which can differ in terms of the categories of protected characteristics, all those things that Sadia just mentioned, that can also differ by the types of offenses that are covered and the penalties for offenders. Some states have separate hate crime statutes, while others enhance the penalties for crimes committed on a biased motive. Uh, For example, some states include additional protected characteristics beyond those listed in the federal law that Sadia had mentioned, such as age, ancestry, or marital status. And some states also include offenses such as vandalism or property damage um, as hate crimes, while others only consider violent crimes such as assault, murder, or intimidation. Additionally, and frustratingly, so this drives me crazy, I said, some states have specific provisions for reporting hate crimes or collecting hate crime data, while others do not. That's wild. That is so wild. Right. The other thing which is frustrating, hate crime training for law enforcement personnel may also differ from state to state. And I wonder what that really means, right? You would think that there would be some sort of national kind of system for hate crime training and reporting, and hopefully that will come in the next couple of months. As for the justice system, prosecuting hate crimes is an important tool in combating intolerance, protecting vulnerable populations, and promoting equality and justice for all. Pretty common sense. But as we've discussed on the show, prosecuting hate crimes in the States is rare because uh, they may be difficult to prove, and many victims may be reluctant to come forward to say that they've been a victim of a hate crime. And the other thing is that sometimes hate crimes may be prosecuted under other laws, such as just vandalism or assault, without specifically being categorized as hate crimes. Mm, That's interesting. By the way, in the U.S., the FBI tracks hate crime statistics, and they said in 2020, about 8,000 Hate crime incidents officially occurred. We don't know how many unofficial accounts of hate crimes happened, right? But experts say that this is just a small number of the real number of potential hate crimes that may have occurred, which makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, Sadia, one place that I saw said that as many as 250,000 hate crimes occur every year in the United States, which is just wild to think that that's the number, but only 8,000 of them are actually being officially recorded. Right. So that is our primer on hate crimes. And as we continue to report on this series, we'll update you on important information regarding hate crimes. And as our listeners know by now, our goal with this podcast is to show the broad range of crimes out there that could be considered and should be prosecuted as hate crimes. And with that, let's get on to our today's story. So Asad, what are we talking about today? So Sadia, another tragic story, this one in 2017, so not that far in the past, at the University of Maryland in College Park. A 23-year-old African-American named Richard Collins III was visiting the school with two friends. That week, he was set to graduate with a degree in business from a nearby college called the Bowie State University, and he had just been commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Army. And so, really just exciting times for him, a lot to celebrate. 
But on this night, he's out with friends. It's the end of the evening around 3 a.m. And Richard and his friends order up an Uber like so many of us do at the end of a night. And they waited at a campus bus stop for the car to arrive. As they are waiting, a 22-year-old senior from the University of Maryland named Sean Urbanski emerges from the wooded area and starts screaming at Richard and his friends, who we should just note, one is a white man and the other is an Asian woman. This guy, Sean, has a three-inch pocket knife tucked in his hand, and we find out later that he has a blood alcohol level three times the legal limit. Wow. Sean, who is white, bypasses Richard's two friends and then says to Richard, quote, step left, step left if you know what's best for you, end quote. When Richard doesn't move, Sean then stabs him once in the chest, totally unprovoked. Campus police are called and they and Richard's friends are trying to administer life-saving measures, but he later dies at the hospital. Sean is arrested within minutes with the bloody knife still on him. I said this is just so heartbreaking and we see this happening again and again. We've covered cases where this has happened, right? But as a mom of a college-going kid, this is probably my absolutely worst nightmare, right? Oh, and imagine, it keeps yeah. me up at night thinking how my kid is doing, if they are safe. I remember once I called my daughter and she wasn't picking up and this was like 12 at night and I kept calling her and I was freaking out. And then she calls me back and she was like, mom, everything is fine. But I cannot imagine what Richard's parents must be going through once they found out. This is just absolutely horrific. Yeah, and you would think, you know, Sadia, that you are presumably in a safe area. If it's a bus stop on a university campus, you're with your friends, like you just assume that this is an area where you're quote unquote safe. And then for something like this to happen so quickly, I think that's right. really what like in a matter of moments, you know, someone emerges and you could be a victim really is scary to me. Is there any doubt to what happened? Yeah, so Sadia, the crime was caught on surveillance cameras because it was at a bus stop and there were witnesses, as we said. And so there wasn't much doubt as to what happened, but the why is the real question. Why did this happen? And so we know the perpetrator, Sean Urbanski, remember he was drunk. He says that he doesn't remember the stabbing. Uh, we should also note that he allegedly stayed at the scene calmly sitting on a bench until he was arrested. He's charged with first and second degree murder and first degree assault. Yes, this is so mind boggling to me because if you just stabbed someone, you wouldn't be calm right? Yeah. So that's the first thought that comes to my mind. But I wonder, was there a motive? Why did he do this? Yeah, Salia. So that's where the case really gets interesting. This is Sean's first offense, but it soon emerges that Sean is a member of a Facebook group called 
the Altreich Nation, uh, which the police chief said, quote, shows extreme bias against women, Latinos, members of the Jewish faith, and especially African Americans, which he said brings up questions as to the motive of the case. Oh my God, another white supremacist? Another, yeah, potential white supremacist. Yeah, totally. So Sadia, we are unclear if Sean posted on or interacted with the Facebook group because the site was taken down the month uh, of the murder. He did, however, have racist memes on his phone, at least some of which were directed towards black people. So all this plays into whether or not he's going to be charged with a hate crime. We know that he committed the murder, right? Mm. And so there's basically a lot of back and forth as to whether this evidence could or should be used at the trial. Essentially, they're trying to figure out whether it was a premeditated murder and a hate crime or just a random act of violence. You know, Sadia, the murder garnered a lot of attention given President Trump's recent election and the ensuing racial divide. The director of the Southern Poverty Law Center, which we've mentioned on previous episodes, said that there was a rise in racist groups with names containing variations of alt-right in the months before the murder. And according to reports at the University of Maryland itself and other D.C. area campuses, Various white supremacist flyers had been posted in the months around the murder. You know, in general, Saudi, you'll, you'll remember, you know, this was uh, a time when there was an increase online and in person of alt-right material and events and kind of everything. And it seemed like it was becoming increasingly okay to publicly promote hate, intolerance, and violence, right? Absolutely, Asad. Hate was mainstreamed during that time, and we see remnants of it even today. So what do we know about the victim, Richard? Yeah, Sadia, you're gonna you're gonna love this. I mean, just he seemed like a great kid. You know, he grew up in Chesapeake, Virginia, in a close-knit patriotic family. He was, as I mentioned, a 23-year-old student at Bowie State University, where he was a member of the ROTC and had recently been commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army. Richard was active in his church and community, and friends and family described him as a kind and generous person who was always willing to lend a hand to those in need. He was just really known for his positive attitude and his ability to bring people together. In a statement after his death, the president of the university that he attended said that Richard was a proven leader and was going to make a profound impact on society. And then Sadia, I don't even know what your reaction is going to be to this, but decades ago, Richard's grandfather was also killed by a white man during a hate crime shortly after serving in Korea. Oh my gosh, I said, this makes my blood boil. Why does it always happen to good people? You know what? I'm just thinking this kid was going to serve in the army for a country which he thought was a safe place for him, right? And then he gets murdered brutally by a alleged white supremacist on campus, right? Again, safe place for him. It just makes me so sad. I don't even have words, Asad, at this point. But I really want to know more about the investigation. So what happened with the investigation and trial? 
So apparently the FBI declined to charge a hate crime at the federal level. I guess they just felt like it was just not a strong case, but prosecutors still pursued hate crime charges at the state level. But the judge, who was black, threw out the hate crime charge for lack of evidence, calling it utter speculation, um, and that they didn't provide enough evidence that Sean targeted Richard solely because of his race. And so I think this goes to earlier, Sadia, when we were talking about how each state has their own version of hate crimes laws. They are also applied in different ways. And in this case, it seems the judge felt like a hate crime is only a hate crime if hate is the sole motive, not just one of many. And he felt like that was not the case, that hate was the sole motive. But moving on, Sean is still charged with murder. And you know, there's no doubt that he did it, right? Like, it just goes back to the why. Why did he do it? His lawyers admit to the killing, but say it was alcohol-induced and spontaneous and that he was too drunk to have premeditated it. They also admit Sean engaged with racist content, but maintained that he was not a hate-filled extremist. Meanwhile, the prosecution presents the video and eyewitnesses, and they also point to Sean's calm and collected behavior right afterwards. Remember, he was just sitting on the bench answering Mm. questions to law enforcement. And in the end, the jury deliberates for under two hours and finds Sean Urbanski guilty of first-degree murder. And this was back in December of 2019. The judge said that he believed racial prejudice and alcohol were both factors in the murder and that racism, white supremacy, and hate crime were at the heart of the case. So I said, I have a lot of thoughts on this case, but before I delve into that, I want to know how long was he in jail for? Yeah, so during the sentencing statement, Sean took full responsibility for the murder and was remorseful, as was his mother, um, who was there. But he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 15 years, which will only be granted if both the state parole board and the governor agree to his release. The judge denied the prosecution's request for no parole, saying, quote, both their lives ended that night and that he felt that his ruling was fair and just. And Sean later appealed on grounds that showing jurors that Facebook page Hmm. and racist memes on his phone violated his free speech and right to due process. But the appeal was rejected because the Facebook follow and the memes, which is called kind of racially charged evidence, was considered admissible evidence towards premeditation. And then additionally, there was enough kind of non-racially charged evidence, like the video footage and the forensics, that the memes probably made no difference in the verdict. So, Sadia, I want to pause right there, and I think it's time to discuss if we think this was a hate crime or not. I would love your thoughts. I keep going back to his calm demeanor after the incident, which indicates to me that yes, he was drunk and there was a blood alcohol level that was above the permissible level. He seemed pretty much in control, right? And 
not just that the fact that he went straight to richard he ignored both his friends went straight to him also tells me that there was something about richard that triggered him and the only thing i can think of is richard's physical appearance because they did not have a conversation right so all of that points to hate crime in my mind at least that's how i see it i do not agree with judge when the judge says that it has to be wholly or exclusively based on hate because human emotions are very complex and it's very difficult to determine what a person is thinking in that moment we can only base our judgment on what we see and here we see this one person ignoring two other people going straight to richard and then stabbing him i also want to go back to what sean said about racist memes being on his phone as part of free speech and right now to me it's always mind boggling because when white supremacists have racist memes and violent content on their phones it is classified as free speech but when non-white muslims blacks latinos if they have violent content on their phones they are marked as terrorists so i am always confused by this hypocrisy that exists within american judicial system So those are my thoughts. Uh Sally, that's so eloquent and well put and I think you laid out the evidence in in a very, you know, strong way similar to how I would I would want to lay it out. I think for me, obviously clearly he did it and clearly he belongs in jail for a long time, right? And for me, I think what like that second part that you said is the most interesting part. I would hate for <laughs> anybody to kind of make assumptions about who I am based on the content that's on my phone or on my computer. Right. Not that I have crazy stuff, but I I'm sure that someone could pick apart pictures that I have or things that I follow and make assumptions. And you know, Sadia, I actually did this with you. <laughs> <laughs> um as an example and uh, and so I before we recorded this I went on to your Instagram page ha huh. and I looked at who you're following and you know it's an amazing group of people uh, peace organizations and Bollywood stars it looks like the UN uh <laughs> uh and and then you also follow Vice Media which is an amazing media outlet uh but I don't I don't know if you're aware but well the co-founder also after he left Vice went on to found the Proud Boys and then you also follow this account called the South Asian Therapists or something like that and so you know someone could make the argument Sadia that you know maybe you have a mental issue and that you are following far right conspiracies and so right. the reason that I did this little exercise into looking at your account and and all that kind of stuff is to make the point that people of color I think aren't given that benefit of the doubt and you know you could look at things that are on my phone and then make assumptions and you could label me a terrorist right and we're just not afforded that liberty of free free speech that is commonly used in arguments by people on the right absolutely yes and as i said if you and i gave the same reasoning and if we said oh well this is part of our free speech nobody would care and that's something that really really bothers me. Yeah, I totally get it. 
So what do you think, Asad? Is it a hate crime or not for you? Yeah, I I don't think that I would label this a hate crime. I definitely would consider this a murder and that he deserves to be in jail for quite a while. And I hope mm. that, you know, when he comes out, he is rehabilitated and doesn't, you know, subscribe to his racist beliefs. But I struggle with this being um, an overt hate crime. So I am curious to know why. I just don't think that you can draw enough parallels between what someone's activities are online or the contents on their phone like this to an act that just seems so random in in my head you know he didn't come out of the bushes and say the n-word and charge at you know like spewing all this hate speech verbally maybe he was thinking that we'll never know but in terms of like what you could prove it doesn't jive with me that this was a hate crime fair enough i said we can agree to disagree i guess totally so moving on i said what's the latest how can our listeners help and what else can we do to inform ourselves about hate crimes and how to prevent them from happening so richard's family and lawyer together with lawmakers and civil rights advocates establish the richard collins law which passed on october 1st 2021 it expanded on maryland's legal hate crime definition to include certain actions motivated either in whole or substantial part by another person's or group's race color, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, gender, disability, or national origin, or because another person or group is homeless. And then there was just a bunch that the family did. An ROTC scholarship foundation was created in his honor and awards a million dollars in scholarships to ROTC cadets at historically black colleges and universities every year. Richard's parents worked on an amendment to the 2019 National Defense Authorization Act to provide benefits to families of lieutenants who die between receiving their military commission and beginning active duty service. His parents also worked on a social justice alliance between the University of Maryland and Bowie State to break down racial barriers among students and recommend criminal justice system reforms. And then, you know, there are a bunch of other things that had happened, like the DOD promoted Richard to first lieutenant after he died for demonstrating the character and conduct of a higher officer. And then the University of Maryland also made a memorial plaza in Richard's name. We didn't find a campaign that you could specifically donate to, but if you want to donate to funds that combat a systemic racism, we will have a couple in the links in the show notes, including Campaign Zero, ColorOfChange.org, and the National Cares Mentoring Movement. We will be donating to uh, one of those charities um, as well. We'll have links to them in the show notes so that you can donate um, along with information about this story. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Invisible Hate. Please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and as Sadi always says, please rate and review us. It really helps us a lot. Yes. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd love to thank our team, which includes Michaela Strather, Isabel Havens, Lindsay Gamble, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. And we'll be back next week for another hate crime for us to analyze. Until then, I am Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. Take care. Invisible Hate.
Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.